Anyway, Merry Christmas, guys. Thanks for being here. Glad to have you join us this Christmas. Uh, if you're a guest with us, if this is your first time here, I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks for, for visiting, and we hope you feel comfortable. Sometimes when, when, you can come, when you come to a new church, or maybe you haven't been to church in a while, um, you can get in your mind that like everybody that comes to church, their life is perfect and easy, and they got it all together. They got no issues. Uh, that's not true at all. Everybody in here is flawed and has challenges and baggage and stuff that they're working through. So I would really encourage you to uh, be who you are, relax and be who you are. If you could take your guards down, take the mask off and, and just enjoy this morning. We're really, really glad that you're here. Um, we're going to talk about Christmas stuff here in just a second, but when you came in, you should have got a program. If you wouldn't mind pulling that out for a second, there's a few things I want to highlight for you. The first thing is the insert that's inside the program. Uh, this is our connection card. We always talk about this because it's a, it's a real good way to communicate with us. So if you have any questions about anything, if you want more information about something, you could mark it on here. On the back is a place for prayer requests, and we would love to, it's a privilege for us to be praying for you. Um, if, if you got something going on in your life that you'd like prayer for, you can mark it on here uh, and we'll follow up with anything that you write on here. It goes to the staff and we pray for you. So um, we would love to be able to do that. When you're done with it, after the sermon, we pass the, the offering baskets around and you can just put that in the offering basket. In fact, if you're a guest, please feel no pressure to put anything in those offering baskets except that connection card if you wish. Um, uh, just, we're just glad that you're here. Um, two other things I want to tell you about in the program. The first one is this bottom graphic that says Daniel. So uh, today we're finishing up a series, our Christmas series that we've been doing for a few weeks. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second. But next week we're going to do a, kind of a standalone series. It's the end of the year and we're going to look back um, at the past year and we're going to look forward to the new year as well. We're going to do it by looking at the life of Peter. And so I invite you to come back for that. And then in the new year, in January, we're going to start a new series on Daniel. We're going to kind of dig in uh, to, to the book of Daniel. Daniel, if you've never read Daniel, it's an amazing book. It's an amazing book. You have a guy and his friends who are literally like taken captive and taken to this foreign land that's really, really different than the land that they were used to. And so they were used to following God, and they were removed to this foreign place where the God that they worship was, had no value at all. And so their conviction and the way that they live their lives is really, really powerful. So I'm excited to dig into that uh, starting in January and invite you to come back and experience that with us as well. Um, the last thing I want to tell you about is this top graphic. Uh, it's about our app. So we updated our app uh, about a month ago, it's called Grace Church 30 and 30, and I really encourage you, so we have Wi-Fi in here right now. You could, I would not at all be offended if you pulled out your smartphone and you downloaded the app right now, but it's a real good way to get connected with what we're doing around here. And so in the app, uh, you can see, you can see past sermons, you can see the announcements that we talk about, uh, you can see a list of grace groups, you can give that way. There's a Bible um, on there as well that you can follow along through that. So really encourage you, if you're interested in connecting in a deeper way, that's a good way to do it. Make sense? Okay, so uh, we're continuing on, actually going to wrap up this series that we've been doing over the last few weeks called Peace on Earth. And it's a question, Peace on Earth as a question. And in this series, we've said, you know, I think we all love peace, like we want peace. We long for peace, for, for completion, for serenity for wholeness in our lives. Sometimes it's a little bit more intense of a desire than other times. Sometimes it's expressed in different ways. Uh, but we have this, I think, all of us, this longing 
for peace in our lives. At Christmas time, we talk a lot about peace, right? We just sang a song that's called Peace Has Come, right? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then we look around at our world, if we're honest, and we go, I don't know, it doesn't feel that peaceful, you know? There's a lot of rotten stuff going on in the world. There's a lot of hate in the world. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of discord and unrest and pain and suffering. And we can go, I, I don't, it, it doesn't feel. We say peace has come, but it doesn't feel like peace has come. And yet I look at all those things and I hate them. I don't want hate and violence and discord and all of that. I want peace in my life. And so what do we do as human beings? What do we do? When we long for something, we go chase after it, right? And that's kind of what this series has been uh, talking about is our search for peace, the human search for peace. And the way that we've been digging into that each week is we've been looking at some different folks that lived in Bible times that we have some, sto- some histories about. And so the first week, and, and it's interesting because they're not that different than us. You know, it's like sometimes we can look at the Bible and go, man, it was written thousands of years ago, completely different culture. These are really, really different people. Yeah, they lived, they, they wore, you know, different clothes than we did. They lived in different places of the world as we do. But the human struggle and the issues that they had are very much the issues that we have, right? And so two weeks ago, we looked at this lady that uh, Jesus encountered. Uh, she was from Samaria, and she, he met her at this well, right? And we looked at this woman, and we said, this is a woman who would have been seen as an outcast, So she was, when Jesus met her, she had had five different husbands, and she was now living with a sixth man. And in that culture especially, that would have been seen as absolutely taboo. You are shunned. You are an outcast with us. And we said she was searching for peace in her life too. And the way that she was searching for peace was really two different ways. The first one was through the approval and acceptance of others. We said we kind of got into her mind a little bit and, and, and tried to understand what was driving some of these relationships with her. If I could just be accepted, and, and we all feel this too, many of us feel this too, if I could just be accepted, if, I could, if other people would just look at me and say, you're valuable, you're worth something, then I would be happy, then I would be accepted. Right? Her view of peace and happiness was all wrapped up in other people's opinions of her, and so it caused her to go from guy to guy to guy to guy. That was the first way that she was seeking peace. The second way that she was seeking peace is interesting. She was actually looking for a peace with God, but she was looking to do it only in the way that was comfortable for her, only in the way that was convenient for her. Yeah, you know, there's lots of different ways to come to God. God is known by many different ways. I come to him the way that I want to come to him, kind of like I determine who God is, right? And Jesus talks about, just kind of, kind of uh, uh, speaks to that. He's like, that's not how it is. We don't determine who God is, right? We don't determine how we come to God, how we're able to approach God. God determines that, right? And so we ended up that, that first week saying a couple things. Neither the approval and acceptance of others or a religion that's comfortable for me will ever lead to lasting peace, Right? Like, I can have a little bit of peace when people like me, when people say, you're a good guy. That makes me feel good, a little bit of happiness and peace there, but it's not lasting. I can have a little bit of peace when I'm like, yeah, I'm very religious. I'm very spiritual. I pray every day, but we don't do it in a way that God says we do it. It doesn't lead to lasting peace. The second week, last week, we looked at a guy who was kind of at the other end of the spectrum as the lady, the Samaritan woman. So this is a guy named Naaman. So the Samaritan woman was an outcast. 
This is a guy who is a very successful, a very important, a very brave, well-respected guy. Naaman was an Aramean general, right? And so his life, people would have looked up to him and revered him and respected him, except his body was being devastated by this incredibly destructive disease called leprosy. And so he was searching for peace in his life too. The way that he was searching for peace was through healing. If, God, if I could just be healed of this terrible, terrible disease, if I didn't have this stupid disease any longer, then I could finally be happy. Then I'd be strong in every way and I could finally be at peace. And it's interesting, God chose to heal him. He doesn't always do that, right? Probably some of us have prayed to God and asked for healing for things. And God's answer to us was no. But for him, God chose to heal him. And we looked at that and we said, we said a whole bunch of different things. The way that God chose to heal him, it's very interesting. He said, here's, how, here's what I want you to do to be healed. Go down to that river down there and wash really good. Then you'll be healed of your incurable disease. Like imagine how ridiculous he must have felt, Right? And so we talked a little bit about that, kind of the inconvenience and the foolishness of, of what he did in listening to God. But ultimately what we concluded last week was that, you know, Naaman's faith, uh, let, let me say it this way, the physical healing that he received wasn't the most significant thing that happened to him. It wasn't the most significant healing that he received. He received a much more fundamental healing. Naaman had his soul healed, Right? He experienced the God of the universe. He met the God of the universe and he was changed. It says, after all this stuff happened to him, this is Naaman's response. He said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. God healed him, but God did much more than just heal him physically. God healed him spiritually. And we looked at Naaman and we said, you know, he had just a little bit of faith. Like he wasn't somebody that followed God originally. He wasn't somebody that walked with God. But he had just enough faith to do what God told him to do, even though it seemed foolish, even though it was inconvenient. And we said, you know what? That's kind of a rule of thumb with God. Ultimate healing and peace always begins with a little bit of faith. Sometimes we can look at Christianity and go, I have to have this strong, unwavering faith in order to be called a Christian. It's not true. What God calls us to is to believe just enough. And then here's what God does. This is what he did with Naaman. Here's what he does with us. He proves himself faithful to us. And then what happens? My faith grows. And I trust him a little bit more. And he proves himself faithful again. And what happens? My faith grows. I trust him a little more. Right? So that's where we've been the last couple weeks. This week, I'm excited. So we've looked at one person, really, the last, each of the last two weeks. This week, uh, I want to look at two people, really probably four people. Three of them are exactly the same, and one of them is really, really different. So if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it up, or pull up your Grace Church app and hit the little Bible tab there. Open it up to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. So, so let me give you a little bit of context here. Where we're going to pick up uh, is right after Jesus is born. So we're talking about Christmas, obviously, uh, this is maybe part of the story that is a little bit less familiar to us. So let me, maybe you, you kind of know the, the story here. Let me give you a little bit of some background here. So a woman named Mary is engaged to a man named Joseph, right? But before they come together physically, God makes Mary to be pregnant. Somehow, in some way, 
God makes Mary to be pregnant with this little baby boy. And as she, her pregnancy progresses along, and as she gets right near the end of her pregnancy, the Roman government says, we have a census. We want to take a census of everybody. And you have to go to the place that you're from. And so Joseph, her husband, is from a place called Bethlehem. And so they have to make the, the journey. It's a not, so, so get the context here. A 90-mile journey. You know how they traveled back then? Donkey, camel, wagons, while Mary is very pregnant. You can imagine how pleasant that would have been, right? So they have to travel from Galilee, from Nazareth, all the way up to Bethlehem. Long journey. And when they get there, Jesus is born. Mary gives birth to this little baby boy in a feeding trough, in a manger. And so you think about that. The one that, that we would call as Christians, we would call the savior of the world, was born in the most humblest of circumstances. And so after this, after Jesus is born, is the part of the story that I want to look at. So this is Matthew chapter 2. Let's look at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Let's stop right there. Because right here at the very beginning, these first couple verses, we're introduced to the people that we want to look at here today. The first one is this guy named Herod, King Herod. History would call him Herod the Great. And he's called, so he's called King Herod. They would have known him as the King of the Jews, which is a little bit misleading. A lot of times when we think of somebody who's king, we think of somebody who has all the power, right? Like they decide everything. But it's a little bit different because the Roman government was in, like, in control of everything at that time. So they had ultimate control. And the way that they operated, what they would do is when they took over areas, they would take somebody who was from that area and they would kind of make them a king, a ruler, but they only had limited authority, and ultimately they reported to Rome. And so Herod, it's kind of like a family business for Herod. His father got into this, Antipater, and then he kind of pulled his son into this. And so eventually his son becomes king of the Jews, reporting to the Roman government. So this guy Herod, he was not a full Jew. He was half Jew, half non-Jew, or Gentile. And so he was a guy who did not follow God. Like, let's be 100% clear here. He didn't follow God. He didn't care about God. And the Jews did not, even though he was king of the Jews and he was kind of one of them, the Jews did not like him at all. Partly because he wasn't fully Jewish, partly because he didn't follow God, but mostly because he was a terrible, terrible person. Like, if you, if you Google him and read about Herod the Great, he was a rotten guy. I read a lot about him this week. One of the things I read said this. He was a scheming, jealous, and cruel person. He killed two of his own wives and at least three of his own sons. It gives you a little bit of a glimpse into his heart. One of the other things I read said that there was a saying at the time that said, it's better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. You have a better chance of survival as one of his pigs than one of his sons. Like this is the quality of guy that we're talking about here. So knowing this about Herod, I would look at him and I would classify, we're talking about peace, right? Like how we search for peace. I would classify him as somebody who is searching for peace through power, having everything he wanted, having things exactly how he wanted them to be, right? This is how you have, how you have peace. You got the biggest stick 
and you determine how everything's supposed to be. That's Herod's perspective, right? Peace through power. That's who he was. That's the first person in our story. The second one, really a group of people, are these magi, right? Or wise men, as they're known. And they come into the story from the east. They come, I guess for you guys, they come from the east. And so in the east, they, scholars think it was from Babylon. Babylon is present-day Iraq. And I read a lot about them this week, too. They're described as people whose practice, so what, what are wise men back then? Here you go. People whose practices included astrology, dream interpretation, study of sacred writings, the pursuit of wisdom, and magic. So it's interesting. So these weren't followers of God either. Herod certainly wasn't a follower of God. These weren't followers of Yahweh either. These were different, these were different sort of guys. I would describe these guys as, talking about peace, as people who were searching for peace through truth, right? They were, they were searching for truth. They weren't worshipers of Yahweh, but they seemed genuinely interested in knowing what was true and what was real. And so I look at these, just off the bat, I look at these two people or groups of people, and it, it's interesting because they weren't connected with God, and yet they were called in to the story, God's unfolding of his story of salvation for humankind. Isn't that interesting? As God unfold, as Jesus becomes flesh and blood, God doesn't just have his people as part of the story. He has these outsiders that are part of the story. They're shepherds too. We won't talk about them today, but they're shepherds too. God pulls these people in. It's interesting. So you have these magi, and they're in search for truth, and they notice something in the sky that's not ordinary. In fact, it's extraordinary. It's some sort of star or something. It's described as a star, but that doesn't mean it was like a star like we would know what a star is. There was something in the sky that was so extraordinary, so unusual, that they were willing to travel to where it was to figure out what it is. In their search for truth, they see this thing in the sky, and they're like, this God is speaking to us. God is trying to show us something. And they're willing to travel. So if they were, in fact, from Babylon, they were willing to travel from Babylon to Bethlehem. You know how far that is? 800 miles. 800 miles. Again, traveling by camel or donkey or wagon. And when they would have traveled, these wise men, these wise women would have been pretty important people. They wouldn't have just traveled the three of them by themselves. They would have had this whole huge entourage. And so it would have taken them some time to get over there. And so what scholars think is that it would have taken somewhere between six months and a year, after they see this star, six months to a year to actually get over to Bethlehem. And you think about that and you're like, that's, that's crazy. But you see the intensity of their search, right? They're searching for truth. And they're willing to go to great lengths to understand what that truth is. All right, so let's go back to the story. So in Matthew chapter 2, look at verse 1 again. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod, who again, is a guy who's greedy for power, heard this, he was disturbed. Again, put yourself in his shoes. He's called the king of the Jews. And you have these wise men coming, hey, I heard the king of the Jews was born. He's like, wait a minute, somebody's trying to take my power, right? And so he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. 
When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. There's prophecies about this. They said, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. And so then he quotes this prophecy that was written by a guy named Micah. Micah was a prophet of God. God spoke to Micah. Micah spoke to the people. He spoke 700 years earlier. 700 years before Jesus was born, God gave this prophecy that said, there's a Messiah coming and he's going to be from Bethlehem, right? But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. So then Herod called the Magi secretly and he found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. Because again, time has passed since they first saw that star. And so he wants to know, when exactly did that happen? When exactly was that baby born? He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. He wasn't really intending on going and worshiping him, right? This is somebody who's challenging his power, his authority. He was intending on going and killing this baby, right? And so he tells the Magi to go, and they do. They make the short little six-mile journey from Jerusalem down south to Bethlehem, and this star, or whatever it was, appears again. So apparently, when they got to Jerusalem, the star disappears, and as they're going from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem, the star reappears, and they're really excited about it, and the star moves, and it stops right over the house that Jesus was born to Mary. And so they get there, and they see Mary, and they see this baby Jesus. Look at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Okay, let's stop right there. Let's, let's see what's happening here. Let's start with the Magi first, the wise men. So they're searching for peace through their pursuit of truth. And God supernaturally leads them to this little baby who was born in a feeding trough, who's actually the savior of the world. And when these wise men who are searching for truth see this baby, what do they do? says so they bow down and they worship him and they honor him by giving him these symbolic gifts, these gifts of meaning. Now, we don't, we don't know their hearts. We like can't, I wish we could get into their head and understand exactly what was driving them, what they were feeling. But apparently they recognize that this is the one that they've been searching for. This is the truth that they've been searching for and they're changed and they worship him, Right? Compare that with the other guy. Compare that with Herod's response. They're searching for peace through truth. Herod's searching for peace through power, through having everything that he wanted. How do you think he responds to these wise men, these magi, not coming back and giving him the information that he wants? Well, not very well. Look at verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and younger in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. Imagine, like, in his pursuit of power, of having everything his way, when this doesn't go his way, what does he do? He gets angry, and he gets frustrated, and he gets more violent, and he literally kills who knows how many baby boys. Like, can you imagine the pain 
that they would have felt during that time. It's interesting. Right after this, Herod dies. Which I look at that and I think, I think God took him. I think God killed him. I think God took his life. Because he gave him every chance in the world, right? Like Herod was rotten. And God, it, he says, here's what I'm doing. Here's your chance. And he takes that chance and he rejects. And then he goes the opposite direction, he kills. History tells us he got intestinal cancer and dropsy and he died. Like literally right after all of this stuff happens. Okay, so let's stop right there. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what we can learn from this as we start to apply this to our lives. So this is what we do with scripture, right? We open it up, we read it, we understand what it's saying, and then we bring it into our context and we go, what difference does this make in my life today? So let's talk about this. We're talking about peace. And here's, here's what we've said already in this series. We've talked about ways that we search for peace that don't really lead to lasting peace. We said the approval and the acceptance of others never leads to lasting peace, right? It just doesn't. It feels good for other people to like us and say we're worth something, we're valuable, but it doesn't lead to a peace that lasts. We said a comfortable and convenient religion never leads to a lasting peace. When I come to God the way that I want to come to God, when I make God out to be who I want him to be, it never leads to lasting peace. It might make us feel good that we're like kind of religious and kind of spiritual, but we won't have the kind of lasting peace that we're searching for. We said physical healing or change, physical change, if I could just be different, if I just didn't have to deal with this anymore, it doesn't lead to lasting peace. And we could all, I think, reasonably look at Herod and who he was and what he did and conclude this, the pursuit of power and selfish desires, my selfish desires, also doesn't lead to lasting peace. All of those things, I think, can feel good for a time. I think they can give us a little bit of peace in the short term, but they won't give us a meaningful and lasting peace. I look at these two guys, two groups of people, and I think they're so different. You know, they're, they're so incredibly different. You have one who's searching for peace through power. If everything is my way, then I'll finally be at peace. You have these others that are searching for peace through truth. I just want to know what truth is wherever it's found. You have one who's all about himself, who's all about his selfish desires. And you have these others that are all about this baby who was born, that God is doing something. You have one who is completely fighting God, right? He's fighting what God might be doing. You have these others that are all about discovering what is God doing, right? You have one who's completely closed off to God. He's closed off to finding peace through God. And you have these others that are open to him. In fact, they're intensely curious that there might be more than what they've experienced. And then you have one who dies. Perhaps his life being taken from God, taken by God because of his violent brutality. And then you have these others who receive this fullness of life as they finally experience this absolute truth that they've been searching for. The savior of the world has been born. I look at them and I'm like, they're as different as night and day, right? And yet, they both had the exact same opportunity, right? God, God brought both of them into the story. They had the exact same opportunity to see this little baby who was born. Both of them were not following God at the time. They were apart from God at the time. Both of them were undeserving, right? And yet they chose very, very differently. 
Here's my question to you. As we look at their lives, we're trying to understand what they're feeling, what they did, why they did what they did. Here's my question to you. Which one are you? Which one are you? Are you more like Herod, the one who's power hungry, the one who just wants to get what he wants, the one who's closed off to God, the one who's headed for death and yet somehow feeling kind of dead right now? Or are you more like the magi, the ones that are truth hungry, not, not just living for yourself, not just living for your own desires, but genuinely interested in what God might be doing? Are you open to him? Are you intensely curious about who he is and what he's done? See, what, what Herod completely missed and what the Magi got is that true peace is found in acknowledging and surrendering rule to the true king. Like in the series of talking about peace, like how we, how we get peace, meaningful peace, not short-term peace, not short-term happiness, but lasting peace, true peace is found when we surrender. When, when we go, it's not my way, but it's his way. And we acknowledge the true king. You know, as I was preparing for this series, and we, John said it earlier, we've been praying for the series and, and for Christmas, and you know, there's always lots of guests, which is awesome at Christmas time. And part of, you know, a lot of what I see my role as, as pastor, is to just say what God wants me to say, you know? To hear from him and then share that with you. And I don't mean that in some sort of weird, like, ethereal, God speaking to me, I'm super spiritual way. But I pray about this, and like, God, what do you want me, how do you want me to challenge people this Christmas? And here's what I felt like God wanted me to challenge you with. Are you open to what God wants to do inside of you? Don't answer that too quick. Think about it. Are you open to what God wants to do inside of you? We could, we could close off to God very subtly without, without even realizing it. And we could be really selfish and go, you know what, I'd, I'd actually rather it happen my way. I'd rather follow what I want to follow instead of genuinely being open to what he has for us. The Magi were open to God. They were willing to, to go 800 miles to take a year or two out of their lives to travel and find out just what in the heck God is doing. They were open to him. They were much more concerned about him and his truth than they were about themselves. My question is, how about you? Are you open to what God wants to do in your life? And, and I'll tell you, is I think is if, if, I, if I know what this says, and I think I have a good idea what this says, and I understand God's heart, here's what I think he wants to do inside of us. Here's what I think he wants us to get this Christmas. Here's the first thing. He loves you. He loves you. And, and, and we can get weird with that. Like we, we think, you know, I, I've done a lot of rotten things. I've made so many mistakes. God surely must not love me. He must be angry at me. He must not even like me. No. Like if there's one thing that we get at Christmas time, you are loved by God so much that he, can't, he became flesh and blood for us to change us, to forgive us. He loves you. 
Second thing I'd say I think God wants us to get is that peace and forgiveness he wants us to have. Like he wants you to feel that no matter how good you think you've been or how rotten you think you've been. God wants us to be forgiven and to experience peace and he wants us to have a relationship with him. Like that's what Christianity is. It's not about doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing, following the rules. That's not Christianity. That's legalism. That's something else. Christianity is about relationship. God wants you to know him and he wants you to be known by him. And then I think he wants you to know this. You can have a joy-filled life. You can have a joy and peace-filled life right now. Whether you have a lot and your circumstances are awesome, I got no problems, which is nobody, right? We all have problems. Or you have very, very little and your circumstances are really rough. There's a peace and a joy that God offers us that is transcendent beyond any of our circumstances. And then the last thing I think, I, I think God wants us to get is that there's an eternity coming. Like this life isn't all that there is. Sometimes we can make it out to be, this is it, you know? This life isn't all that, if we believe what this says, this life isn't all that there is. There's a life to come. There's an eternity to come. And it's either going to be really good or it's going to be really bad. One of the two. There's no in-between. There's two options. I think God wants you to know. I think what he wants to do in each of our hearts is to pull us in and say, yours can be really, really good in paradise with me if you want it. You have to want it. You have to choose it. He doesn't force us. So which are you? Do you identify more with Herod, who he was? Or do you identify more with the Magi? And are you open to what God wants to do in your heart this Christmas? If you are, it can be the best Christmas ever. It can be the most joyous time in your life ever. And I want to say this. Sincerely, we would love to help. If, if you have questions, if you have uh, concerns, just things don't make sense, and we would love to help in any way. And I hope you feel this. Like we're not a high pressure place here where we're going to try to make you do something you don't want to do. Like just genuinely, we would love to try to help you in your journey. And so if you need help or have questions, mark it on your card. We'll follow up or just reach out to us. We'd love to help. So why don't we do this? Why don't we end this way? Uh, the band's going to come up. They're going to sing. We're going to sing two more songs together. But why don't we all stand, if you would, and let me pray.